My name is Austin Ganyo and I'm from Ghana, West Africa. I have different experiences when it comes to being an exile in a foreign land. Uh, ultimately, we all know that heaven is our home and there is, you know, the tension of being uh, here on earth. I spent several years studying here in the United States, um, having to learn uh, the culture, learning to understand how uh, the fabric of society works, um, comes with some tension. Sometimes uh, we, I miss home. Ghana, where we're working in the northern part of, of Ghana, because we're Christian and in Tamale, the predominant population, relig religion of the population is Muslim, we get, we get some pushback. I think if we segue that into the tension of being a Christian uh, in a world, you know, of darkness, uh, we, we can always trust in the Spirit of God and rely on our Father to be able to communicate with Him. When you realize that there are other people on the same journey with you, it, it really helps you to, to know that you can stay the course. Um, and that is the beauty of Christianity. We are all exiles in this, in this land and we have several people who are equally on the same journey. Take your devices, find 1 Peter chapter 1, or open your Bibles to that text. We're talking about strangers. We're strangers. We don't fit in this world. Many of you have come under the knife of a surgeon. You've done that to become better. The person coming in to talk to you before surgery is the anesthesiologist. He uh, talks to you because he's going to keep you under in a way that you will not feel pain, but also so you will not move because that scalpel can either really bring a lot of destruction on your life, or it can heal you. It's the source. That's the beginning point. When we open the scripture, we find the same thing. We also experience it in life. When the apostle Peter is writing this letter, he's writing to people who have come under the scalpel of the great physician, God himself. And, uh, they are enduring, because of their Christian faith, all kinds of pain, sufferings, strugglings of different sorts, and it's as if he wants them to lay still on the surgical table as he uses these instruments of pain and suffering to make them better, to refine them. Um, I would imagine most in this, in this room today uh, are going through some kind of stress in your life, you're not sure what's happening. Maybe it's because of your faith. Maybe it's not because of your faith. But every kind of pain God can use to make us better. He wants to do that. So here we are in our text, chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be given, to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as those who called you, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who just judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed with from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Though you believe in God, you raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. 
Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands, endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies. Crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What does it mean to lay still on the surgical table so that the great physician's scalpel will make you better bringing healing instead of crush you because of squirming? He says basically this, be holy because I'm holy. Now, what does that mean? What's that look like? First of all, understand that holiness is the primary attribute of God. The Bible describes God in many, many ways, that he is kind and good and pure and perfect and good and kind. He is all of those things. But more than anything else, the Bible says that God is holy. We have that great scene in Isaiah 6 where the angel, angelic beings around the throne of God, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Basically, the, the Hebrew word is kadah, and it means to cut or to separate. So whenever you're working on a document and you are cutting and pasting, you're cutting something away to paste it somewhere else for use, for a report you're writing or something you want to save or put on Facebook, whatever it is. That's God. He is a cut above. He is extremely and far above anything that we can measure. This past month, you may have watched the clip of uh, Simone Biles do that amazing dismount on the balance beam or her floor exercise where she did the double somersault, double twist or something and landed squarely. And some who were writing about her were so in awe, they said, she's off the charts. She's beyond being measured. God is not just at the top of the ladder of all the attributes that we share with him. He is off the charts. He cannot be measured. And certainly in his holiness. The psalmist wrote, in the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? Who, who, is, who You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. John saw the heavenly beings, and he wrote, Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, the striking thing about this text is he that we are called to be holy, but in a different sense. I'm not trying to downplay what he says, be holy because I am holy, and that's to be our aim, though we, never, we, we know we're never going to get there because we're the creation and he's the creator. We're finite, he is infinite. Nevertheless, he calls us to be like himself. But to make it a little more touchable, and relatable, let's, let's put it this way. To be holy to me, means to be holy gods 
were used two different kinds of holy there. Holy means to be holy God. Every part of ourselves is to belong to him and shaped by him. Every motive, every thought, every intention, every action, every word out of our mouths, every deed that we do, every conversations we, ha we have, every, every dime that we spend, everything is to be shaped by who God is. Whole devotion, wholly devoted. That's what it's about. There's an obscure little account in 2 Samuel 23. I'm not going to take time to read it. I'll just tell you about it. You can read it later. It's David. He's already been anointed king of Israel. He, is, he is, uh, had been in his town of Bethlehem, his place where he's from, and he has to flee because the, because the Philistines are coming in and attacking. So he flees into the desert area, and he surrounds himself with a group of men that he calls the mighty men. And David is really weary, and he's wondering if he's ever going to be able to be back in Bethlehem again. He's discouraged, he's wrestling, and he, he simply says this almost as seems under his breath. He says, oh, that I could drink water from the well at Bethlehem, at Bethlehem's gates. That's all he says. Well, some of the mighty men hear him, three of them, and they look at each other. And they got the same idea. Let's go do it. And so they risk their lives going back to Bethlehem. They get past the garrison of soldiers. They get to the well at Bethlehem. They get a pitcher of water. And then they, they bring it all the way back through the desert where David is. And then David gets it. And he pours it on the ground before them. Now what in the world is it about? It's just a few verses long. What is that about? It's teaching us about holy devotion. It teaches us the nature of total devotion. You see, there's a difference between a sigh and a command. Some of you, some of you moms, let's say it's Saturday, and the kids' rooms are like a tornado went through, and you've had enough. And you say, clean your room. And they dilly-dally all day. And finally at 3 in the afternoon, she's really getting on edge. And she, they finally say, we better clean our room because we're going to... And so out of fear and an obnoxious mother, they do, the, they do the room clean thing, right? Now imagine the same setting. And mom's in the kitchen in the morning. And she says to your dad, oh, oh, that those kids would just clean their rooms. And your kids are having a good day. And they're in the other room, and they hear it. They hear you say that. And they look at each other. Hey, let's surprise mom and go clean our rooms. And she about faints half dead. When she goes in the afternoon, the room's already clean. And she has an ague. It's the same kind of thing. David doesn't seem to be saying this to anybody. He's not giving a command. Nothing. He's just sighing. He's wondering. It's not that he wants water from the well. What he's saying is, oh, that I could be back in Bethlehem. I wonder if I'll ever get to be there again. See, to be holy is to be sensitive to the sigh of God. You don't need his command, but the closer you get to the heart of God, the more you know his yearning for people, his yearning for your life, all you need is his sigh, and you're ready to obey. That's the nature of total devotion. We also learn the object of total devotion, devotion here. These guys risk their lives, and then David pours the water out. 
But I think they understood. What David was saying is, I am not worthy of the kind of devotion you just showed me. I, I am not worthy of the way you risk your lives to, to do what you did so that I could have this water. He was pointing them to the only one who is worthy of such total devotion. And that is, of course, is God supreme. He's the only one who's worthy of that. They understood that. And we also learned the reason for this total devotion. Certainly in King David, we have a glimpse of God at being the, the, the king, the king of all that is, the king over all the earth. But we also have a glimpse of, our, uh, of King Jesus through the mighty men. These mighty men went behind enemy lines to get water for the king. And so it is what King Jesus did. He worked behind enemy lines. He risked his life. He laid down his very life so that we could drink from his well, the well that holds living water that we may live. And even today, he works and fights for us behind enemy lines that we might have triumphant, victorious Christian living in our quest to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, this is why that we do the same thing. On behalf of our God who is sighing for the world, we know the sigh of his heart. He says, I'm not willing that any should perish, and we are willing to lay down our lives, to lay down our preferences, to lay down our homes, to lay down our interests, to build relationships with unbelievers, to have spiritual conversations, to move outside what we're comfortable with so that somehow as we build these friendships, we can bring others into the family of faith. That's what our vision is all about, called to be that kind of wholly devoted to the Lord. Third, our holiness is the reflection of God's nature. Peter doesn't just quote God and say, be holy because I am holy and leave it. He talks about two things. First of all, the holiness, involve, holiness involves your minds, our minds. He says at the very beginning, prepare your minds for action. The, whole, the, the, the um, old King James Version says, gird up your loins. In that day, there were, there were men wore these long garments, and if they were needed to run or they had, had uh, uh, intense work to do, they would take those robes and they would stuck, stick their robes in their belt to give them more freedom of movement. That's the idea. Peter writing us today, he'd say, roll up your sleeves and get to work. That's the kind of picture, work toward this. That's what he's saying. You see, this, why this is important is because so often in the arena of faith today, we hear so much about feelings and faith. And I want you to know that first of all, our faith is a thinking faith more than a feeling faith. Now, we feel our faith for sure, but not always. Our feelings are all over the page. Feelings are what they are. And that's why we build our faith on the evidence of Scripture, on the truth that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he died, was buried, on the third day rose again. A.W. Tozer was writing about this because we live in a culture where people are, are mesmerized by the goal of happiness, of being happy. And that's not what we're about. We're about being a holy people, not necessarily a happy people. This is what Tozer writes. The emphasis of the New Testament is not upon happiness, but holiness. God is more concerned with the state of people's hearts than with the state of their feelings. Go to God and tell him that it is your desire to be holy at any cost, and then ask him to make you holy whether you're happy or not. Be assured that in the end, you will be as happy as you are holy. But for the time 
time being, let your whole ambition be to serve God and be Christ-like. Let's go for that. So, holiness involves your mind. It also involves our will. He says in verse 17, live your life as strangers here. That's why we're calling this series Strangers. Now, there are three ways that you can live as a stranger somewhere. You can live as an immigrant. I remember when Ramon Rendon, our Hispanic brother and minister down on Washington Street, became a U.S. citizen. I went to his swearing in, and I was in tears by the end. I was in a courtroom downtown Indianapolis filled with people from various countries of the world. They were all dressed up. It was an important day for them. The judge was stellar. She was a a young African-American woman, and she brought in her family quilt. And she talked about the meaning of this quilt that had been passed down to a few generations. And she looked at this crowd and said, today you are improving and making more colorful the fabric of our nation. And she thanked them for that. And then they all stood and they took this oath, renouncing the country they came from and expressed loyalty and patriotism to the United States. I I wept. I was so moved by this. We are not immigrants because we are not of this world. We are not concerned with assimilating into into this world's culture. We're among it and we're in it, but we don't live by its standards and values. We're not immigrants, nor are we tourists. If you've ever toured another country, you know what it can be like if you go with a group. You're on a bus, you're isolated, you stay with your group, you stay in American kind of hotels, you, you, you eat American food, you look through a different a culture through a glass window to see what it might be like. You don't really engage that much. That's not what we are. We're not isolated from the world to which we are called to make a difference. But we are exiles. We are of a different country, but we live here among the people who are a part of a different kingdom to make a difference. We are salt and light in this world. We are not of this world. We are traveling through this world that's not our home to a home that's made for us. That's who we are. And our wills are to be involved in. But in the, in, the, in the process, we live very distinct lives. Is your life distinct from the people you work with, from you go to school with? And we have in existence a letter written by somebody, we don't know who, at the end of the first century or beginning of the second century. It's written to a man by the name of Diogenes, who is really uh, intrigued by the different lives that these Christians live. And he writes this, for the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry As do all others, they beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live
live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor yet made rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet they, and yet in their di- very d- dishonor are glorified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. So mark different from the world, making their impact. Live in such a way that we are foreigners, that people don't quite understand the choices we make and the priorities by which we live. That's holy living. And finally, the evidence. The evidence for the holy. That is the evidence for being holy, the holy devoted life. Now, you know, if, I'm, if I look at my body one day and I see here this mole and it seems to be changing, I know I've got a warning sign. And I've got to check that out. It could be a melanoma. And that could spell something serious. So I'm going to get it checked out. How serious for us to look at our lives today, we would all confess we are not living the level of holiness, of being wholly devoted, that is, that we should be. In Isaiah 35, there's this verse that says that when the Messiah comes, we will travel on the way of holiness. The way, let me give you three ways to measure if you're on the way of holiness. First of all, it is the way of acceptance, the way of acceptance. Peter writes, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying, then he says later, rid yourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. In other words, if if obeying would be easy, then uh, we would be wholly devoted. But obedience is difficult. And these few things Peter mentions are just samplings. You know, we refuse to engage the world in the way they want engagement. We engage the world. But we do so to gain their interest, to gain their intrigue, to gain their respect, so we can give a reason for the answer that we have. Every time we open the scripture, we are welcoming the gospel to scrutinize our lives. That's what we do. Do you live that way? Holy Spirit, show me. Reveal to me. That's a demonstration that you're on the way of holiness. There's the way of nourishment. My son's over there. He's one of the slowest eaters I know. We are ready for dessert a long time before dessert, long before he's ready for dessert. And we wait for a long time. Uh, When we eat, there are basically three steps. We cut, and then we put it in our mouth, and we chew, and we swallow. It's what we do with the Word of God. We cut a piece, and cutting means we we study it, we look at it, we see what we're getting ready to take in, and then we put it in our mouth, we we turn it over on our mouths like we do when we chew, we we let the palate, I've got got a son-in-law who is odd when he eats, I think he's going to choke to death someday, because he'll cut a piece of steak this big. And I said, Anthony, why do you have to eat? Why do you eat like that? Well, I've got a large tongue, and it needs to cover all the taste buds on my tongue. (laughs) 
This guy's a smart guy, and that's what he says. I don't get it, you know? But when we devour the Word of God, we roll it, we roll it over our minds, we think about it, and then we swallow, we bring it in, and we drive it down to the deepest part of our psyche and who we are. That's what it is to feed on the Word of God. We take it in, we, we drive it down to all, piece, all phases, all pieces of our lives. That's, that's the way of nourishment. He says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, and that's what we do. And then there's the way of exchange. He says, love one another deeply from the heart. In other words, I can never be as holy as God wants me to be without people, without being in community. God put us together to make each other better to speak into one another's lives, to learn from one another. One of, the, one of the worst inventions ever made was that crazy mirror you women use that multiplies your face like two million times. What is with that? That's ridiculous. I hate, hate it when Diana keeps the wrong side and I look, oh, you know, it's crazy. You know, you think you look decent until you look at that and you realize what a mess you are, right? The Word of God is a mirror. And we look in it to see what we look like. And next to the picture of Jesus, we don't look so hot. But he invites us to be like him. More than that, he commands us to be like him. Be holy because I'm holy. The only way that can happen, friends, is what he said in the very beginning last week. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you must be born again. And if you've not been born again, you have no hope to standing before the Lord and hearing his welcome. You have to be baptized into Jesus Christ, surrendering your life, deciding, I want to learn to be wholly devoted to him. May that be the whole goal of our lives. Let's stand and worship.